This July, we are working our way through the books of First and Second Samuel. A lot has happened already, so before we read our scripture, I'll provide a quick recap of the last few weeks. So far, we've been following the lives of two men, Saul and David. Saul is the first king of Israel who God reluctantly agrees to work through. God's reluctance isn't so much about Saul per se, but the whole idea of Israel having a king. After all, as the scriptures note, Saul is both tall and handsome. But you apparently need more than a hot bod to lead an emerging nation state. So God chooses a new king named David. Saul actually initially starts mentoring David But things get complicated when David slays the giant Goliath and becomes all of the rage around town. This makes Saul jealous. And last week we looked at how that jealousy led Saul to try to kill David. But the whole situation is a mess. And we haven't even mentioned that Saul's daughter, Michal, and Saul's son, Jonathan, were both in love with David. But we're about to get into that. So today we actually have two scriptures that will be read back to back. The first is a brief description of the first time David and Jonathan met. And then our second scripture is a song of lament that David sings when he learns that King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. So as Teresa makes her way up to read scripture, will you please join me in prayer? Loving and peaceful God, we give thanks for your presence, your spirit that saturates our lives and saturates the earth. And we pray that through that spirit, we will hear your word to us today. Amen. So our first reading is from 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. As soon as David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan's life became bound up with David's life, and Jonathan loved David as much as himself. From that point forward, Saul kept David in his service and wouldn't allow him to return to his father's household. And Jonathan and David made a covenant together because Jonathan loved David as much as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his armor, as well as his sword his bow, and his belt. Second Samuel 1, verses 17 through 27. Then David sang this funeral song for Saul and his brother Jonathan, or and his son Jonathan. David ordered everyone to Judah to learn the song of the bow. In fact, it is written in the scroll from Jashar. Oh no, Israel, your prince lies dead on your heights. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen. Don't talk about it in Gath. Don't bring news of it to Eshkelon's streets. Or else the Philistines' daughters will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. You hills of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain on you, no fields yielding grain offerings, because it was there that the mighty warrior's shield was defiled the shield of Saul, never again anointed with oil. Jonathan's bow never wavered 
from the blood of the slain, from the gore of the warriors. Never did Saul's sword return empty. Saul and Jonathan, so well loved, so dearly cherished. In their lives and in their deaths, they were never separated. They were faster than eagles, stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. He dressed you in crimson with jewels. He decorated your clothes with gold jewelry. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies dead on your heights. I grieve for you, my brother Jonathan. You were so dear to me. Your love was more amazing to me than the love of women. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen. Look how the weapons of war have been destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. David learns that Saul and Jonathan have died. He breaks down weeping and then sings this psalm of lament. And this scripture, primarily, it's a scripture about grief, which means that it's also a scripture about love, because grief is the offspring of love. Without love, there's nothing to grieve. So David's deep grief grief is a result of David's deep love. And honestly, you know, there are a lot of different scriptures about grief, and there are a lot of different scriptures about love. But this particular story is unique because of who David loved. A man named Jonathan. David and Jonathan met as youth in the royal courts. The scripture that actually we read tells us that David arrived, and before he even spoke to Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan was bound to David. The two made a covenant that lasted for the rest of their lives. When King Saul became increasingly paranoid and tried to kill David, Jonathan went behind his father's back to save David's life. When David fled Saul, David and Jonathan met together one last time, and, well, it's described like this. The friends kissed each other and cried with each other, but David cried the hardest. After David fled, Jonathan met him out in the wilderness, offering love and support. And, and it says elsewhere that, or David says that his love of Jonathan surpassed his love of women. And David loved a lot of women. If you remember more stories about David, I mean, David married lots of women. But Jonathan was apparently the greatest love of his life. A love that we are still talking about 3,000 years later a love we're still arguing about 3,000 years later, because the intensity with which their love is described begs the question of if these two men were friends or lovers. 
Not surprisingly, this is a pretty hot topic in today's religious climate, but it's not actually a new question. By the, around the medieval period, we start seeing art depicting the two as lovers. And the most famous sculptures of David by Michelangelo and Donatello have some not so subtle homoerotic themes themes that are uh, noted by art historians and, well, noted by me when I was, I think, in seventh grade and we had our first class on Renaissance art. I think the whole class noticed. Uh, around like the, or the 14th century history, Vin Eduardi Secundi likens David's mourning for Jonathan to King Edward II's weeping for his dead male lover. It would seem that throughout history, there have always been those in the church who believed that David and Jonathan were lovers. And their view hasn't been the mainstream view. As many biblical scholars have pointed out, the text is lacking uh, romantic euphemisms that would imply that David and Jonathan were anything other than platonic friends. Then, of course, there are other biblical scholars who argue that the story is full of coded language that was as explicit as it could be in a culture where same-sex romantic relationships were forbidden. And so that's the debate. It continues on today with new books, articles, and cringy Facebook posts arguing both sides. So, what should we believe? Were David and Jonathan lovers? I, I've been studying this text for about 15 years, both from a like, kind of traditional, exegetical approach and by listening and learning from queer folks about how this story intersects with their lives. And through all of that, I have come to the conclusion that I do not know. I, I don't know if David and Jonathan were lovers, which is very different than saying that I don't care. It's different than saying that it doesn't matter, because of course it matters. Who we touch and how we touch them matters immensely. It, it matters whether we're gay or straight or queer or reject all labels. It, it matters whether we are abstinent, casually hooking up, strictly monogamous, polyamorous, or something entirely different. It matters whether we are faithful to the promises we've made. Who we touch and how we touch them matters immensely. So surely it mattered to David and Jonathan whether they touched each other and how they touched each other. Because if they touched one another as lovers, that love would have shaped their lives. They would have had to live something of a secret life. David was married to multiple women. If, if they were lovers, I, I can't help but 
wonder if, you know, the trips out to the desert that the scripture describes were motivated by fear of what might happen if people found out. If they were lovers, I, it, well, it just brings me this deep sense of sadness to imagine David weeping over the loss of his partner while not being able to publicly name everything that Jonathan was to him. If they were lovers, it's sort of a tragedy. And, at the same time, a beautifully queer story. The story of a love so passionate and powerful that it survived thousands of years of oral tradition and evolving manuscripts. A story that was told generation after generation, all the while flying under the radar of the institutional church. A story that was a beacon of light for queer folks in societies where it wasn't possible to be out in the open. If they were lovers, we can read this story with pride that their love survived the ages. Or maybe they weren't lovers. As my friend Sarah Wiles says, maybe they were just friends. But how much is lost in that just? How much is lost in our obsession with sexual relationships and pairing people off? Far too often, we only acknowledge relationships as real or meaningful if they're either bounded by marriage or marked by sexual intimacy. We don't give friendship its due. And yet, some of the greatest loves of our lives are friendships. And, and perhaps that's even because friendship endures the rise and fall of romantic relationships. Friends are there for us, there for us through singleness and divorce through children and infertility, through jobs and moves and unemployment and retirement, through addiction and sobriety, through death and illness and disability and aging, friends are by our side. Friendship is one of the highest forms of love. Because, well, friendship is chosen, where family generally is not. Friendship doesn't have, like, contractual obligation defined by the state. Friendship has the freedom to be different for every person in every group. A platonic friendship is different than a romantic love. But it's not lesser, it's different. So when we ask, were David and Jonathan friends or lovers, we should recognize that there is an answer to that question, an answer that matters. It's just an answer that we don't know. And that leaves us imagining two very different 
but beautiful forms of love. Two forms of love that affirm our lived experiences. Two forms of love that give us insight into God's love for us. Because David, despite all his struggles with violence and with power, David was a man after God's own heart. And in David's love for Jonathan, we see God's love for us. That's how these ancient stories function, like myth that conveys deep truth about what it is to be human and who God is in our lives. So this story gives us insight into how God loves us like a lover and how God loves us like a friend. God loves us with the delight and the intoxicating passion of a lover. In, in this, we see divinity that just can't help itself, can't stay away. And we also see a God who embraces us with, with the comfortability of an old friend who's been by our side through all the struggles and triumphs and disappointments and joy that life has brought our way. And, and when we look at those two forms of love, we don't have to choose. Because no matter which kind of love David and Jonathan shared, we receive both. And I think it probably happens even in different seasons of our lives. Sometimes we, we need to feel that that buzzy energy of, of new love that inspires and motivates. And sometimes we need to relax into God's grace. That's like a friend who knows us so well that nothing we say can be a surprise. So I, I suppose my hope is that, that this story both affirms the many expressions of love in our life, and also helps us see that no matter how we experience God's love, like a lover, a best friend, or even a friend we haven't spoken to in a few years, that we will know that God's loving embrace knows no bound. Amen.